Morning, Crosspoint. Um, as Steven said, my name is Jordan Ricky. I've been a member for almost 10 years here at Crosspoint. Me and my wife have been coming since really the youth group days. Um, today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians verses 1 through 18. Let's hear God's word. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by believing a wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it is for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake. Because he who plows ought to plow in hope. And he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preaching. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with the commission. But then is, what then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, open your Bible, 1 Corinthians 9. That's what will be in the verses that Jordan just read. Jesus-like leadership is a self-sacrificing leadership. This is the type of leadership that God's people have been called into, whether you're talking leadership in the home, in the workplace, in the local church, in government, in the community. One definition of self-sacrificing leadership is this, giving up one's own interests or wishes in order to help others or advance a cause. Giving up one's own interest to help others for the good of others for the greater purpose. If we want to lead like Jesus, then our leadership should be marked by a self-sacrificing posture and attitude. Because Jesus himself, according to Philippians 2, took on the role of a servant. Set aside his own interests, emptied himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For what reason? For the good of others. To bring benefit to bring blessings, salvation to all who would put their faith and trust in him. Brothers and sisters, we follow a Savior who came as a servant, whose earthly life was marked by self-sacrifice. And so as we follow him, as 1 John 2 talks about, we, we desire to walk as Jesus walked, to live as Jesus lived. We are his disciples. He is our teacher, and we are seeking to become more like him by his grace, spirit, and word. In this passage, Paul, who planted the Corinthian church, who is writing to them to encourage, exhort, correct the saints at Corinth, Paul is talking about 
self-sacrificing leadership and how he has and is seeking to model it. Why? Well, for the good of the people, for the mission of the gospel. He's giving up his own interests in order to advance the cause of the kingdom of God. And that cause is to bring glory to God by going and making disciples of Jesus to all the nations. Much like in our day, the Corinthians assumed that leadership led to a self-serving status. That when you got to the corner office, when you moved up the flow chart, when you had people following you, then you were in a posi position finally where you were served. Served by others. Like, like the more leadership you gained, the more it could become about you. That's what the Corinthians believed. That's what our world still believes. But the whole of the New Testament teaching, let alone Paul's teaching here, is saying that godly leadership leads to sacrifice, not status. Sacrifice for the good and benefit of others. Sacrifice that might bring glory to our Savior who led the way in sacrifice, who modeled it for us so that not only we might be saved, but so that, that we might be empowered by a spirit to follow him, become like him. In this passage, Paul is going to talk about rights that he has, things that he is entitled to, and yet rights that he's laying down for a purpose because leadership doesn't lead to entitlement or privilege, but to sacrifice. For Paul, the priority of, of the gospel and its goodness, the power in the lives of others, that is what's most important to him, far greater than his own needs. Verses 1 and 2 in 1 Corinthians 9 in the CSB Paul asks four questions of the Corinthians that he's expecting to get yes responses from. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So as the Corinthians are listening to this letter and these questions, they're thinking, yes, you're free. Yes, you're an apostle. Yes, you've seen the Lord Jesus, Paul. And yes, we, the Corinthian church that you planted, we are an evidence of your work in the Lord. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ, which in this case refers to an, uh, an office, a role in the early church. The early disciples, such as Peter and John and Andrew and the others, became apostles. The apostles were witnesses of the resurrected Christ. They were chosen by the Holy Spirit, commissioned by Jesus himself. And the early apostles served to lay the foundation of the church, the foundation with Jesus as the cornerstone as the church began in the book of Acts. And in verse 2, Paul is saying, one evidence of his apostleship in the Lord is the fact that the Corinthian church exists, that these brothers and sisters listening to this letter being read are proof that the Spirit of God is at work and the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who might believe. They are a proof or a seal of what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. that says this, So then, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. The Corinthian church is being built upon the foundation of the apostles with Christ as the cornerstone. And with the role of, of apostle came 
certain rights, certain responsibilities. With the role came Jesus' commissioned authority. And we've seen thus far in this letter that some in the church are questioning Paul's authority. They're dismissive or arrogant toward it, which ultimately reveals their hearts, their hearts that are arrogant or dismissive of ultimately the Lord's authority that Paul is simply a reflection of. One reason we learn here is that, that they're questioning Paul's apostolic authority is because he's not taking advantage of some of these rights that he was entitled to. And the Corinthians are thinking, well, leadership leads to status, so why aren't you taking advantage of these? And Paul is saying, no, no, leadership leads to sacrifice. And in verses 3 through 6, Paul continues to ask questions to defend that he's an apostle. And with that, he's entitled to some rights. Before, talks, before Paul talks about laying down rights, he's, he wants to defend the case that he's entitled to these rights. My defense, verse, six, verse 3, my defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? My defense, meaning I feel like I'm on trial with you, Corinthians. And he asks questions of himself and Barnabas, and there's definitely some sarcasm here. We've seen that thus far in the letter. Do we have the right to eat and drink, Corinthians? And our needs met? Well, of course, Paul. Okay, Corinthian church, do, do we have the right to be married, or is that only Peter who gets that right? Well, no, Paul, you, you have that right. You, you made that clear in 1 Corinthians 7, earlier in the letter. Well, okay, last question, Corinthian church. Do Barnabas and I have the right to be financially supported by churches like the other apostles are? Are we not worthy of pay for our work? And the Corinthians are thinking, yes, you have the, the right to be supported. The Corinthians questioning his apostolic authority were assuming that because Paul refused or laid down these rights, such as financial support, that meant that he lacked those rights thinking if you don't exercise them, then you must not have them. But Paul's making the defense that these rights, such as financial support from the church, these are rights that he's entitled to. So because he's not exercising, doesn't reveal that he's not an apostle. It does reveal his heart for people, for ministry, for the gospel. And the, and the financial support one is the one that he'll really focus on in this section. Verse 7 who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit, or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock. Paul gives three examples of those who work, and through their hard work, they benefit from their labor, that through their work, their, their needs are met, they're provided for. The soldier supported as they defend, as they serve. The vineyard farmer supported through their own planting, tending, harvesting the shepherd's needs are met not outside the flock but within it and then in verse 8 paul correlates these three examples of soldier farmer and shepherd toward the example of the minister of the gospel saying that ministers of the gospel including himself are entitled to the right to be supported through their work verses 8 through 12 Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. 
Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope. And he, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. So in verse 9, Paul's quoting from Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. In the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. In the historical context of Deuteronomy 25, grain was broken away from its husk by an ox walking on it repeatedly, often in a circle. Old Testament law did not allow farmers to muzzle the treading animals. So while they're working, they're allowed to eat. It's cruel to, to force an ox to walk around and around and around working and unable to eat from their hard work. And Paul's applying this Old Testament law to himself, insisting that ultimately God was concerned about more than oxen here. That what is true of oxen is even more true of those who serve as ministers of the gospel. That while they work, their needs should be met. That while they do the hard work of plowing and planting and harvesting and spiritual things, they should receive material benefit for that. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Paul's saying that he himself has sown spiritual seed in Corinth, the church that was planted as a result, is evidence of that hard work. And as a result, Paul's saying, I have the right to reap material harvest for a reasonable pay for his labor. But then after making the case in a variety of ways, through rhetorical questions and illustrations and Old Testament references, that he has the right to be supported by the church, Paul writes, second half of verse 12, nevertheless, we've not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I have the right to support, but I've let go of that right. I will sacrifice that right for the gospel and the good of others. And by giving up that right, it led Paul to having to endure hardships. His personal road was bumpier as a result, had more trouble in it. And yet he was willing to endure it so that the gospel of Christ would not be hindered. How would the, go how would the gospel be hindered? Well, we'll talk about that here in a few. Verses 13 and 14. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Again, Paul takes us back to the Old Testament, tells us that the Old Testament priests got their food from the temple. They shared in what was offered on the altar. Their material needs were met through their service at the temple. And then Paul points forward to the New Testament from that example and says those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Those who do the work of gospel ministry should be financially supported from their work. I'm coming up on 16 years in vocational ministry uh, this summer, meaning I get my W-2 from Cross Point Community Church. I left State Farm in summer of 07 after being there for nearly 10 years. It was the 
area of finances that were the greatest roadblock for Heather and I to make that jump from corporate world to uh, church world because it wasn't a lateral move. It wasn't an upward move. It was one of sacrifice. As a husband, I want to, I continue to want to provide well for my wife and so to jump off the big red cliff is what we called it at the time was a step of faith. It was an opportunity to grow in our dependence upon the Lord, trust that where he leads, he will provide. And the Lord has been faithful through all the years. He was faithful prior to vocational ministry. His faithfulness didn't initiate in 2007. It's who he is. He was faithful long before here. But it's been faithful, I can tell you, over the last 16 years. Over and over. He's provided through our regular means of jobs for Heather, a job for me. And often through surprising, unexpected ways that we didn't see coming because we're, we're little humans. He saw coming because he's sovereign, because he's good, because he knows all. A lot of those blessings, the vast majority of them, the, those provisions have, have happened in the local context of this faith family. Through your grace and through your love. Living in the context of a church family. We're living one unexpected provision in moving to my parents right now. The Lord has been faithful in the past, our present. He'll be faithful in the future. Brothers and sisters, I'm still learning that lesson. I would really love to self-righteously tell you today that I've graduated from that class. Truly, it would feed my pride. I haven't. My wife's probably closer to graduating, but she's still in class too. This is a unique passage for a, for a vocational pastor to preach, if you haven't caught that yet. Paul saying that those who do gospel work should earn their living by the gospel, and at the same time he's saying, yes, that's true of me, but I lay down that right, don't pay me. Okay, Paul, uh, what is it? <laughs> Which is probably a thought that you have as you read some of his letters. Okay, Paul, just tell me what you're saying. As a leader, especially 16 years in, I'm aware of my weaknesses as a pastor, and so I'm sometimes like, okay, so how can I earn less income from the church so the church has more dollars to staff in a way that supplements or strengthens my weaknesses and leads to the good of the church? How can I earn dollars through other means as a supplement for our household so that I can keep doing gospel ministry here in the church that I dearly love and I've given my life to? And at the same time, the Crosspoint staff can be strengthened and expanded and the people be built up, the church be built up, the saints of God be equipped for the work of ministry to an even greater degree of effectiveness and health. I don't have any clear answers to these kind of mind and heart thoughts. They've been, my wife would tell you, they've been rolling around for a while. I don't think it's something I ate last night. I'm not sure if it's the spirit at work. Maybe nothing will change. What I most certainly know and desire is that I want the Spirit of God and the Chief Shepherd, Jesus, to lead. It's His church. We are His people. The Lord has been so gracious and generous to our personal household through all of you. The household of faith at Crosspoint, His faithfulness through you has been on display in our lives, in the lives of our staff, and in the lives of those who we support on the mission field, the Ethnos 360 team, and those three households, Eric and Bree serving in Manunk. This is a sweet, sweet family to be a part of. A sweet family to have called family for a generation. 
So today, I'm not announcing I'm refusing support like Paul is to the Corinthians. Uh, sanctification still has some room to go, I guess. I probably should have a conversation with my wife or the elder team before I do that. And no, that's probably not coming, all right? I'm abundantly grateful to earn my living through the work of gospel ministry and to do so alongside you as brothers and sisters who I delight in. I'm grateful to be a pastor at Crosspoint. Thanks for not muzzling the ox, whether it's me, Kent, Dave, Bailey, Becky, any of our staff through the years. Thank you for not muzzling us as we tread out the grain. I think there's an element of self-sacrifice, though, in this passage that we shouldn't dismiss. And I'm not just talking to the, like, the half dozen of you in vocational ministry. I'm talking to us, the people of God. I think there's an element of self-sacrifice here that we need to listen to the Spirit on on how he's asking us to respond and apply. Verse 15, Paul writes, For my part, I've not, or I'm sorry, for my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case, for it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. So Paul is not defending his right to be paid, so the Corinthians will just repeatedly take offering after offering. This is not a backhanded approach to get them to pay up. He'd rather die than for someone to think that he's making this about him. What we get here is a glimpse into Paul's motivations and his heart for ministry and mission. So whether paid or unpaid, it didn't matter to him. What mattered to him was the work of the gospel. So was it more effective for the good news for him to be paid? Okay, I'll be paid. Was it more effective for him not to be paid? And Paul says, I'll lay down that right and raise funds in, in other ways. His desire is to preach the good news willingly, voluntarily, simply for the good and benefit of others. It's self-sacrificing. Verses 16 through 18, For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a, I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make, use, not make full use of my rights in the gospel. So why did Paul lay down the right for financial support from the Corinthians? And why did he think the gospel would be hindered if he did receive support? Because he, he didn't always turn down material support from other churches. Philippians 4, Paul thanks them for how they supported him in abundance. He writes that their support of him was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So why is he laying it down here? Well, first of all, Paul wants to make it abundantly clear to the Corinthians that he preaches and does the work of the Lord voluntarily, willingly, that he's been entrusted with a commission by Jesus and woe to him if he doesn't fulfill that commission. And he won't follow that mission with a begrudging heart, but one of willing joy. Jesus tells a story in John 10 about himself being the good shepherd and, and how other shepherds are like hired hands oftentimes. They don't ultimately care for the sheep of the flock. So when trial or trouble come, Jesus says, they take off, they flee, they run because they're self-serving. They're not self-sacrificing. Since the days of Paul, there have been those in ministry seeking to take advantage of those who they minister to, ministering for selfish gain. May that never be said of any leader at Crosspoint for the entire duration of our ministry until Jesus returns. May it never be said of those who lead, whether paid or unpaid, here. May instead our lives be a reflection of the words of Peter in, in chapter 5, verses 
2 through 4 in 1 Peter says, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Paul is also refusing financial support from the church because some commentators argue that that some of the church are trying to buy him. We saw earlier in the letter how the church was prone to division of we follow Paul, we follow Peter, Peter, we we follow Apollos. And so in that day in the city of Corinth, just like in our day, sadly, the world was prone to try to buy favor from others. Special interest groups have been around a long, long time. One commentary wrote this, and, and this is speaking of the context of Corinth, to see if you can imagine a situation that you can relate to in this world. The offer of a financial gift constituted an offer of friendship. While in theory it was voluntary, it was actually intended to place the recipient of the gift under an obligation to repay. People of high status used their wealth not only to cater for their social and economic needs, but to form alliances, to secure power, as a form of security and protection against personal and political enemies. If you're a fan of the office, your lead pastor is the fan of the office. Okay? Some of you are afraid to like raise your hand. Like, should I admit that here? This is when Dwight walks around with the bagels and says, hey, I got a bagel for you. Can d- Raise your hand if you're tracking with my story. All right, yeah, see, here we go. So he's walking around, and they all oh, thank you, Dwight. And he goes, Oh, you're welcome. You owe me. You owe me. You owe me. Repeatedly. So scholars believe that some in the church are, have that mentality. Wish to try to put Paul under obligation to them, which would hinder the gospel. Because then the person giving him the gifts with strings attached is going to say at some point, hey, you can't say that, Paul. Well, no, no, no. You can't call out our sin. Well, no, you, you have to show partiality and favoritism to us because we, remember, remember, remember? We gave you that gift. Or, hey, Paul, you got to push our self-serving agenda. It can't be about the kingdom of God. It's got to be about my kingdom because we gave you that gift, remember? People-pleasing is a sure way to, to fail in the mission to glorify God. Paul, just like any minister of the gospel, has allegiance to one. It's not himself It's not an earthly person. It's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, whose kingdom we've been graciously brought into to serve his agenda, his mission, his purpose, his glory is what we're about. Paul wants to teach the Corinthians that his reward for doing gospel ministry is ultimately not found in the material things of this earth. He has eternity in view, reward from the chief shepherd who will appear and give the unfading crown of glory who will say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. His reward is being able to preach. His reward is being able to serve without pay. That is his privilege. The Corinthians were drawn to status, public acclaim, affluence, cultural ladder ladder climbing, speaking eloquence, the kind of leader that causes the public to respond like fireworks. Ooh, ah, wow. Do you see that one? And Paul's way of life, his posture of self-sacrifice, 
his ministry convictions are completely disrupting their worldly thinking. As one, Paul, as one author wrote, Paul's reward is the privilege of offering the free gospel free of charge, and in doing so, his own ministry becomes a living paradigm of the gospel itself. Paul's reward is the privilege of offering the free gospel free of charge, and in doing so, his own ministry, his own way of life becomes a living paradigm of the gospel itself. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is by grace alone. It's free of charge, my friends. We are unable to work our way into heaven or buy our way into it. Salvation in Christ is a free gift offered to us by our Savior Jesus who did all the work, who is sufficient. His sacrifice was enough to cover all our past, present, and future sin. And we receive this gift through faith alone. Through putting our wholehearted trust in Jesus, repenting of our sin, meaning turning around, walking toward Jesus and walking away from our self-serving, sin-centered life. And as we follow Jesus, our desire is to walk as he walked, to live as he lived. We're following him, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. May we pursue a life of self-sacrifice, not in an effort to earn his love, but because we are loved. May we not pursue self-sacrifice to gain righteousness. We're already righteous in Christ. We're simply living out who we are and who he's made us by grace alone and through faith alone. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming as a servant, for laying down your rights to the point of death, even death on a cross, for emptying yourself so that we might find true life in you. Thank you for giving of your life as a ransom for all who might believe in you, redeeming us back, setting us free from the slavery of our self-centered nature. Thank you that in you we are a new creation set free to no longer serve ourselves but to love and serve you and love and serve our neighbor. May we be people led by your spirit, not our flesh. Give us wisdom and discernment as we seek to be a people marked by self-sacrifice. Thank you that the gospel is good news and that salvation is a free gift. Help us treasure that gift and the joy and peace it is to be called your own. May our lives be a living reflection, a living paradigm of your good news, Jesus, and your way of life. We pray this in your name. Amen. Isaiah 55, uh, verse 1 says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Verse 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will freely, freely forgive. This is the God we serve.